This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just got a text from a Nigerian prince who needs money to return to his country. Apparently, that's a big misunderstanding, but he's going to wire me millions to thank me later. Man, while he's totally trustworthy, others are falling for scams all the time. Today, let's make sure you don't fall for scams this holiday season. To help us tackle this topic from the podcast that totally isn't a scam. Wait, he doesn't want me to refer to him that way? Okay, fine. Uh, From the Plutus Award-winning Earn and Invest podcast, it's Doc G. And from the Afford Anything That's Not a Scam podcast, we'll say hello to Paula Pant. And last, the guy who throws every last nickel he's got into his bunker deep under the city of L.A. and encourages you to do the same. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a scam. From LenPenzo.com, it's Len Penzo. Once our roundtable has given you their tips, we're going to share a cool new app from a company you've probably never heard of before called Vanguard. But that's that's right, right? It's Vanguard. Oh, ve- emphasis on the vet. Got it. Vanguard. We're going to talk with the head Vanguard digital advisor about how it works, Brian Kincannon. And finally, we'll magnify one listener's money and I'll steal the show with my Emmy Award winning trivia. No, I swear, somebody named Emmy gave me an award once. It happened. And now, a guy who's the host of this award-winning podcast, Joe Saul Seahawk. And uh, you're about to get an award-winning No Scams Included podcast from our contributors today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Friday. Let me be the first one to welcome you to the weekend and to another episode of the Stacking Benjamin Show. I am Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And uh, bad news. Well, I'll, I'll wait. I'll, I'll give you the good news first. I'll introduce this team of merry contributors starting from an undisclosed location uh, somewhere not in Texarkana. It's our good friend Paula Pant. I could be just outside of Texarkana, though. I mean, for all 
for all you know. It'd be awesome if you like knocked on my window right now, waved. <laughs> so socially distant podcasting. Paula's outside. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? Well, you know, now that we're going to talk about scams, I'm doing, doing fantastic. Actually, you, you know what's frustrating, Paula? I just saw two different friends of mine, two different people post. One was Aldi and one was Costco, a picture of a person that looks like the CEO. Have you seen this on, on social media? No, no. And then behind them saying, hey, for the holidays, we're going to give a holiday. We're going to do a holiday giveaway. Share this with three other people and then verify that you did it at this URL, right? And they give you a URL, but the URL that I saw was something like scams.com forward slash Aldi, but it wasn't scams.com. It was some upromo.com or some, you know, weird thing, whatever I said, don't link, mm. don't go check it out. Right, right. So it was kind of posing. It was deceptive. It yes. was posing as something it's not. They had the name Aldi in the link, but it was the second half of the link after the slash. You know what I mean? Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. And that it's deceptive. It's confusing, you know, but it's the Internet. The Internet is the Wild West. I mean, West is no, no longer a good analogy. It's just the Wild Globe. <laughs> the wild place. Right. Yeah, Somewhere. Exactly. Yes. Speaking of confused, let's say hi to Len Penzo. How are you, man? I am doing great. You know, I got, you know, most of these fishers, I, you know, these P-H-I-S-H-E-R, these fish, they're so stupid. I mean, I, I got something uh, last week. It was from, supposedly it was supposed to be from Wells Fargo, but they're so careless when they put together their official looking letters. It said Wells Farge, F-A-R-G-E. Are you kidding so me? Knew, yeah, no, I'm not kidding. It's like, don't these people can proofread their their false stuff before they send it out? Of course not. That's, I mean, of course not. That's, I mean, that's why they're doing this kind of stuff. You know, it's the only way they can make any kind of money at all. But come on, we are people who write and communicate for a living lead. I mean, if, if you're going to go scam people, at least go to Fiverr and hire a proofreader. You would think, you know, but maybe they're so cheap they can't even afford it. Maybe they're not, you know, maybe they're not getting enough money from this. And I can see why when you're getting things from Wells, your bank account at Wells Farge. So who knows? Could you imagine one of your kids coming home from school and going, hey, I got a part time job. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm a proofreader. It's fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm helping this, this nice guy on the Internet. He wants me to tell him how to how to spell fidelity, vanguard. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> and speaking of awesome, the guy who's going to come save this podcast from outside of Chicago and the Earn and Invest podcast, it's our friend Doc G back. I was about to say, when you said no scams included in your introduction, I almost signed off. So I guess it's good that I stayed and can, man, you guys look way too closely at your links. I just hit that baby first and then see what happens. I know. Well, I feel bad because one of those people was a relative and I actually texted them and I said, you might want to take that down. Number one. And number two, please tell me you didn't, you didn't click that link because who, who the heck knows? Mm. Next thing you know, Doc G, you know, there's uh, a van pulling out outside your house with balloons and all kinds of fun. Actually, it's not what happens. Next thing you know, in Russia, there's people that know all about you. Yeah, nothing's worse than when you click on something and realize after you did it that you're in trouble. You either see the, the thing spinning up at the top or the computer starts to slow down. You're like, oh, no, right. <laughs> I've really stepped in it now. Yes. The big question is, is where do those scams start? I mean, Gertrude posted something on Facebook for us this last week saying her favorite way to shop back on Cyber Monday and on Black Friday 
was just to yell out loud in the room, hey, I'm looking for some slippers and wait for Facebook to share an ad. I believe that happens because I swear to God, every time I talk to my wife about something having to do with the house, it comes up on my Facebook. I'm looking for a lamp right now. It's exactly the thing. Uh, By the way, bad news, guys. I forgot to tell you that uh, no meatloaf today after the recording. We're not having our traditional meatloaf. Mom is uh, has a Zoom Zumba class. And who does Zumba on Zoom? But anyway, she has a Zoom Zumba <laughs> class. So no. Zumba. Zoom Zumba class. Yeah. So sorry, guys. No meatloaf after recording. But we've got Doc G here. We got Len here. We got Paula here. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. By party, I mean the no scam party. This this. This uh, piece comes to us from Money Talks News, and it's written by our friend Stacy Johnson, who hung out with us. How long ago was that, Len? Maybe a couple months ago, three months ago? Oh, I don't. Yeah, I don't even think it was that long ago. But you know what? That guy really deserves an Emmy or two, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> As he sits there showing him off behind him the whole time, yeah. we're. How intimidating is that? At least Doc G doesn't have his Plutus behind him, or Paula, or Len. Wait, wait, wait a minute! Everybody here's what a Plutus, haven't we? <laughs> I, yeah. I think so. I think yeah, we, all, we all have. I think that means one of us is due for an Emmy. Next. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's this episode. Maybe this episode's going to get Nobel our Emmy. prize winning economic podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the reason we're doing this, guys, is that today's a horrible anniversary and we'll get more to this later. But um, this is the anniversary of Bernie Madoff uh, being arrested, which was a great thing for a lot of people, because as as you all know, the number of people who lost fortunes, right, and thought that they these are families that don't get ripped off, and he was able to help himself to a lot of other people's money, and did it for a long, long time. And when you hear about how he got caught, it just seems like he got tired of the game. Like he started leaving bigger and bigger footprints about what he was doing. Anybody remember that? That was 2008, by the way. Doesn't that feel like it was yesterday? Honestly, though, 2019 feels like it's 10 years ago. It does. (laughs) It is so weird. But yet I remember Bernie getting, uh, getting taken. Does anybody know anybody personally that was uh, scammed by Bernie Madoff? So I have a family member, a distant family member who lost money with Bernie Madoff, but I don't know whether she got any of it back or not. Well, and even if he got back, because I've had people tell me that before, they said, oh, well, they were made whole. But I think it was years later, though, and the the financial markets went up that whole time. So, yeah, OK, you were made whole. But but just going through all that, I can't I can't imagine. So anyway, whether it's that or being scammed by somebody online, whatever it is, Stacy wrote this, the 10 golden rules to avoid getting scammed. And I thought we would follow his lead here and just talk about each of his points. So number one, Mr. Penzo, we'll start with you because this sounds like something that you would have written. Testimonials are a testament only to gullibility. Do you agree with that? Yes. Yes, that's absolutely true. I know because I write the, my own testimonials for my own blog. So that, that's for one thing. Is, <laughs> but no, no, but seriously, there's a – and I've got to be careful here, I guess, where out in my neck of the woods, there's a plumber uh, who advertises heavily on the radio. He got a lot of bad reviews on Yelp. And eventually he caught on and he began – he created his own – testimonial page. And if you go to his testimonial page on his website, 
separate. If you go to that website, the difference in testimonials from the testimonials on his website versus the ones you see on Yelp is quite uh, – it knocks you over. It's clear to me that those testimonials on his website are completely made up, and he did that as a reaction to the bad – all the bad testimonials on Yelp. So that's just one way to – I mean that to me, that's one major example. Maybe some of you in, in Southern California area might know who I'm talking about, but – but yes, I, I think you can never take uh, testimonials, at least from one location, for granted. If you're going to get testimonials, get it from a broad swath of different sites so you can get a, a, a much larger and f- probably randomized uh, sample size. Back when I know financial advisors no longer can post testimonials to their sites, partly, Len, for that reason, but people can still ask, give me some references, give me some referrals. And I even kind of scoff at that because I remember people asking me about that when I was a financial planner. I'm like, I'm going to send you to my favorite clients. Like, even if I, and don't get me wrong, every client was my favorite client. If you're listening, yes, I'm talking about you. But it seems like even asking people for, for testimony, I mean, is, is, that, is that a colossal waste of time, Doc G, to ask somebody for three or four references? It seems like if the person's at all smart, they're not going to give you anything. Yeah, I was about to say, we all learn probably in grade school to put our best foot forward. And so whenever you're on a website or you're getting testimonials, you just have to keep that in mind. Clearly, no one is going to point you to someone who's going to say something bad about them. And no one is going to put a testimonial on their website that tells you that they were a schmuck and didn't get the job done. So certainly if someone isn't able to present themselves well on their website, you probably shouldn't use their product. On the other hand, just the fact that they can present themselves well doesn't necessarily mean that they're good at what they do. Yeah. Paula, can you think of a time when, I don't know, is there a way to ask for testimonials where you actually get something that matters? I disagree, actually, with everything that's been said so hey, far. Hey, there we go. Here yeah. we go. <laughs> now the gloves are on. So she likes that plumber. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> That plumber's a good guy. Did and I those, not tell you about my plumbing side hustle? <laughs> those Yelp reviews are a bunch of crap. <laughs> so the thing is, testimon- the word testimonial is so broad. You know, it, it applies to many different forms and iterations of testimonial. Like in this article, he's specifically talking about 30-second ad spots that are professionally produced where, you know, you see somebody in a glossy commercial yeah, I wouldn't put any stock in those. Certainly, the prof- like professionally produced commercials, no way. Even written testimonials like, Len, what you were talking about with the plumber, I don't really put a whole lot of stock into written testimonials either. But a couple of things come to mind. Len, you mentioned spontaneous and random reviews that appear on Yelp or Google reviews or Angie's List, anything like that. I think those are valuable because that's community feedback. Similarly, what people say on social media like things that people write on Facebook or Twitter or just or wherever and any social platform, the platform doesn't matter. Those are spontaneous and those I think make a big difference. And then finally, if a customer or a client, and Joe, this goes to what you asked about when with regard to references, if they're willing to shoot a video or to do an interview, either one, in which they talk about their experience with your product or service, and you, if you as the potential client or customer watch that video and you can tell this is obviously a real person you know it's shot at home it's a prolonged conversation that you get into the weeds a little bit you ask questions 
it's kind of done interview style. I think there's a ton of value in that. And those are clearly authentic. Man, I don't think so. I think there's some good, <laughs> I, w- I was I, a financial planner for a long time and I would see some of these things and I'm like, yeah, no. I mean, think about Bernie Madoff, even, even Paula. I mean, people were swearing that they were getting good returns from him. Right. And he was mm-hmm. such a credible dude. He would look at you, people would say, and you just knew, I mean, this guy knew his stuff. And what's funny is he did know his stuff. So he had the chops behind him to prove that, Hey, I've done this in the past for real, but he wasn't still doing it for real. Right. But Bernie Madoff is, you know, he 12 years after he was caught, we're still talking about him. Why? Because he's an outlier. I would say the bulk of video testimonials of average person testimonials in the majority of cases are legit. Here's what I will give you. I will give you this. I ignore, you know, send me to this person. If you send me a list of people to give testimonials about how great they are and I call them, I'm not interested in whether you like them. I assume that. But if I can talk to them one-on-one, you know, like a referral, and I can talk to them and ask them questions about how you do service, I already discount the fact that you love them. I think that's part of the game. But if I can find out and dig in, what is this person going to do for me and kind of sit in the chair of the client ahead of time and hear about the process and what they like, and then maybe toward the end of the conversation, after we have some rapport, maybe get a couple things they don't like, Mm. you know? Some, right. some possible downsides, like maybe, maybe that, but um, yeah. Number two on here, Paula, we'll stick with you. Number two mm-hmm. on our list is documented proof is neither documented nor proof. What do you think of that one? <laughs> yeah. It's also redundant. <laughs> From the redundant department, the department of, of redundancy. redundancy. Department. Yeah. <laughs> you beat me to it. Yeah, Exactly. So the example that he cites in the article is if somebody holds up a giant check and says, this is what I, you know, who cares? Anybody can do that. There was a a speaker at FinCon uh, one year who posted a screenshot of his bank account with a very, very large number in it, screenshot of his checking account with a, a large number in it. My first reaction was like, wow, that's very impressive. And as I thought about it afterwards, I thought, wait a second, why would you keep such a substantial amount of money? In a checking account. (laughs) Because it's (laughs) interest-free. It didn't make any sense. And so, yes, certainly those those types of photos can be Photoshopped. Any photo can be Photoshopped. We did a story early on in the podcast about a company that made these pads of uh, things that look like the, the bank receipts you get at the ATM, where the, where the bank number is mostly X'd out, and it has like a high six-digit number on there. And it was a place where people could say, hey, let me give you my phone number, and let's talk later. And you're, you dig around for it in your pocket, pretend you're digging around, and you take the receipt and you write your phone number on the back of it, hoping that the person who you're trying to impress flips it over and goes, oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Which is horrible. I don't think that a key virtue of the company that makes those is begin relationships with honesty. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fairly certain. If I could start this relationship with a good lie and then I have to tell them why I'm sleeping at mom's house while I have so much money in the bank. I, I do know a couple that eventually got married and had a child, but the relationship started with him lying about his age. Wow. Mm -hmm. Was he younger or older? He, uh, he was younger. So she, she was older. Yeah. And so in an effort to make 
he, in an effort to make himself seem more attractive to her, uh, lied about his age and made himself four years older than he actually was. And then what happened was the, the downstream effect was that if, a, you know, as they started dating, if a song came on, he'd be like, oh, I remember this from high school. I mean, from <laughs> college. college, specifically third year of college. <laughs> and then she, she met his college roommate and he had to explain why he was a freshman living with a senior, you know, because the college roommate's obviously not going to lie about his age. Oh, my gosh. So had, but then yeah, he, but then he probably also had to bring his roommate into it and tell the roommate that he lied. Yeah. Oh, he had to bring it. We threw a birthday party for him once where we celebrated his fake age. Oh, that's, that's, that's way too much work. If the relationship is that much work at the outset, I don't oh. know if it's worthwhile. That's what oh, I think, man. Doc. I, mean, I think his real birthday, just, you know, a few years off, but we threw an entire birthday party for him celebrating <laughs> that fake age. I've heard this attributed to both Mark Twain and to Abe Lincoln, but something to the effect of, I don't lie because I don't have a good enough memory. Mm. And and it, it becomes this unwinding, right? You just got to remember, where did I lie? And much better policy, just tell the truth in the beginning. Number three on this list, Doc, is uh, guarantees or no guarantee. I really like this one. I think people get trapped by this one quite a bit. Yeah, I think the article makes a great point is it's one thing if you're getting a guarantee from a company that's well established, that's been out in public and has a track record. But otherwise, any clown can say, I guarantee success, I guarantee results. And you really have to pay attention to what the actual guarantee is. But just because they say they're going to do it, unless you see it in writing, you don't really know what that means. So, I, you know, if they have to guarantee that you're going to enjoy it, part of the question is, do they believe in the product in the first place? But even if they guarantee it, if the company goes out of business because they're a scam, there's nothing behind the guarantee. It's almost like we talk about life insurance, right? Half the game of life insurance is making sure, I mean, you want to get a good price, but you also want a company that's going to be there when you die. And think about that. Hopefully that's 50 years from now, right? So working with something that has a track record. If you do your own due diligence, you should kind of know about the product before. So maybe you don't need necessarily that guarantee too, right? So hopefully you've researched yeah. the product and know something about it. Len's been guaranteeing his spots on this podcast for a long time. <laughs> saying I guarantee these are going to be fantastic. Uh, speaking of Len, the next one on this list, it's not fine to ignore the fine print. And I call on you, Len, because that also reminds me of Len Penzo. You're a fine print well, kind of guy. I am a fine print kind of guy. Like I said, I've, you know who hates me the most is when I go and get my house refinanced, the people at the uh, at the office there at the loan office, because I read every last freaking line of all those documents because you just don't know. It's so easy to overlook certain little things, and you, you need to know the fine print. For example, do, how many people know? Is there a prepayment? Can you say with any certainty, for example, is there a prepayment penalty on your mortgage if you're going to pay it off? How many of you out there listening right now can tell me absolutely with 100% certainty that you have no prepayment penalty if you wanted to pay off your mortgage today? I can tell you that. Can you tell me that? Can you tell me that? Well, good for you, Paula. But I'm just curious because I bet you, I, I'm sure some some of you are squirming going, oh, I, well, maybe I don't know because you didn't read everything. That's how they get you, right? Even on these guarantees, let's go back to the to the previous one. A lot of these guarantees have fine print in them that, oh, sure, it's a, uh, you know, it's a 10-year guarantee. 
is as long as blah, 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 blah. You didn't, you know, whatever. I don't know. But they put these these stipulations on and then that guarantee they gave you isn't a guarantee at all. So, yes, fine print. Especially when it comes to these. I mean, every purchase, you look at the fine print, Len. But I know that when you are getting your mortgage, get that stuff a day early, because as you know, to your point, that's a huge stack of paperwork. And the closer, I know this because we just closed on our house just over a month ago, the closer sits there and goes, and on this piece of paper, which by the way, is four pages long, this piece of paper, you're saying yada, 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 like one sentence or two sentences. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. I'll sign that. Yeah. Yeah. Why does it take them four pages to say something the closer can tell me in two sentences? Yep, exactly. Legalese, legalese. Yeah, there might be more. But and get it the day. And by the way, they don't want to give it to you the day before, probably because they're not ready the day before. But um, and here's the other thing they do. That I mean, they use that to their advantage. They prey on you. You feeling self conscious that you're going and reading line by line by lines. Like you know, hey, you're wasting their time. Don't buy it. Have you, know you guys? What? They're getting paid. You're getting paid. Take your time. Have Read you guys been print. been caught by this before? I mean, and, and these some of these aren't really deliberate scams. Maybe the salesperson though was a little aggressive. Have you guys been caught by the fine print before? Yeah, I have. I definitely have. Oh, that time you're working made... as a plumber. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it made me angry because normally I'm not very good at reading or opening my mail. Opening, I guess opening comes first, opening, then reading. See, I'm so not good at it. I don't even know the order of operation. <laughs> has no clue. <laughs> they, they should print that somewhere. <laughs> exactly. I'll open it first. But I got this letter I in a uncharacteristic feat of productivity. I was like, I'm really going to go through my mail. And so I got this letter from my internet company saying, hey, you can upgrade your um, modem for free. Every, I mean, I looked at multiple pieces of paper and it was everywhere. It was zero dollars, zero dollars, zero dollars, zero dollars. Well, the fine print of the fi- and I read the fine print, but they're like the fine print referenced some other fine print, which referenced some, it was like three iterations of fine print downstream. There turned out to be, I think like a $15 monthly charge, which is annoying because if it was $75, that's enough money for me to do something about it. If it's 15, I'm like, well, I guess I'll just pay that for the rest of my life. You know? (laughs) Yeah. That's, oh. Yeah. I had something similar just happened to me where, uh, well, it happened a year ago, but it's biting me in the butt right now, which is I accidentally threw a file in the trash that I needed for the show. And of course, then I emptied the trash and then I'm freaking out because I don't want to call this guest back and re-record everything that we did. Mm -hmm. So of course I go searching online for services where you can re-put together these files and I find one. It actually worked. And I was able to recover this file from my trash can. I didn't read the fine print and it's a subscription service. And they Mm. just let me know that they're billing my credit card again. So they told me. So I went to try to get rid of this literally yesterday before we record this to get rid of it. You need your account number. You need. I don't have any of that stuff. I was in a panic And by the way, all the correspondence back and forth with them that I got, the receipt, everything, no account number on it. They didn't get me with solving my problem. They got me with now they're going to charge me once a year, I believe, forever uh, Mm. because of the fact that, uh, yeah, that just some no-name company. So Wow, that sucks. Yeah, I think that's awful. Luckily, I did on my credit card, and I'm going to cancel the transaction on the credit card end. 
but I wish they made it easier than that. Speaking of that, number five on this list, haste lays waste to your savings. Doc? I will never, ever, ever buy anything, no matter how bad I want it, if the salesperson gives me time pressure. I just won't do it. I will walk away. I don't care what it is. That is my new rule. I decided that about 10 years ago. I will not be pressured because nothing comes good from time pressure in a sales pitch. I did not mean to start laughing there. I thought you were going to say, I decided that yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) The other 700 times I bought all those knife sets. (laughs) (laughs) No, I won't do it. It drives me crazy, actually, because why ever should someone give you time pressure? And when it's like, you know, it's like this sale will only be here till tomorrow. I'm like, okay, then I'm not buying it. Forget it. Well, one of the big scams going around right now, and actually a friend's uh, mother fell prey to this. She's starting to have some cognitive issues. The IRS scam, she got taken by that one because they said they were sending the police over to her house right then if she didn't pay this bill right then. Wait, 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 wait. That's a scam? <laughs> Len stopped that one quick by just paying. He did. Yes. And thank goodness, like Doug said, the Nigerian Prince one, totally not a scam. (laughs) But as you notice, the Nigerian Prince one, which we've all seen before, I hope, because we're just referencing without going into it, but that Prince needs the money, not next week. They need it now, right? Got to have it now. Number six, Len, seek and you shall find. Yeah. If it's too good to be true or something you don't, you know, just doesn't make sense. And Stacy mentions this here in the article. I mean, use a search engine, go to Google or, or your favorite search engine and type in some words and look And this for all kinds of scams. I, I get a lot of emails and, the, and despite the Wells Farge one, I do get some really clever emails that it makes me think about, wait, is that real? Could it be real? And what I do every time is I type in the subject of the email or, you know, the topic of the email. And I put scam at the end on that in the search engine. And I guarantee you every time it comes up, somebody else has been hit with that scam. And so, you know, there's no excuse if something is, if you're not sure, you know, you don't have to be embarrassed. The search engines, yeah. well, it's not anonymous. I mean, it's, I guess it's not truly anonymous, but you just go to the search engine and do it and you can get the information. I guarantee you somebody else has, has encountered what you are questioning. Cheryl doesn't get tricked by this stuff. It's very difficult to fool her, but I'll tell you the one that did was UPS package. Click here to see, and and it looks very official UPS. And you have to go look at the actual email that sent it. And the email that sent it was not UPS. Uh, It was some other email, but man, did it look good when she showed me and she clicked the link and then all hell started breaking loose. You you know which one I had? It was really, I mean, because I've actually gone through this uh, one other time before, but somebody, they sent an email saying that I had a photo that I'd used on my blog that I did not get permission for. And I was being sued for, and I was like, wait a minute, I do have permission for this. And I, I even emailed them back and said, you know, here it is. And then they emailed back and said, well, that's not good. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, something's not right. So I went to, I went, I went to Google and it's a scam. I mean, lots of people, it goes to a lot of people. So, I mean, it it came from a law office and it looked really official, but uh, yeah, I mean, so. Wasn't a very popular blogger involved in, in a back and forth for a photo. I think it's a lazy man in your money. 
Wasn't he involved in a big? I don't know, but I hope he yeah, wasn't scammed. I, he I was. hope he wasn't scammed because I just, I've, you know, like I said, I got, I got this the same thing. The guy was saying, you know, you, this is, you used this picture without permission and I want back pay. And, and I went and I showed him, I said, Hey, I got this off of, um, what's it called? The, um, internet. Yeah. It, yeah <laughs> the, creative, the creative comments from, uh, yeah. Flickr. Yeah. Flickr, Creative Commons. And I showed him my lag. I go, here's my license right here. And uh, anyway, so well, here's my license right here. <laughs> right here, buddy. It's right there. Right here on the screen. <laughs> Number. I'm glad we don't have video during that part. That's <laughs> great. It's everybody can use their imagination, the licenses that we were showing. Number seven on this list then, before listening to strangers, listen to strangers, Doc. Yeah, I mean, the internet is a big place, right? There are all sorts of strangers out there to take advantage of you, but there are also strangers out there to help you. So if you have a question, go to Google, put in whatever you have a question about, hit scan, see what other people say about it, see if there are other experts out there who can give you information and help you avoid making a big mistake. We nearly, uh, maybe four or five years ago, had a guest on the show. We'd already recorded the interview. It was a real estate interview, which by the way, there's an area. Lots Never of trust real estate people. <laughs> those real estate people, Paula, are sketchy. Uh, uh, but as you I don't know, like real estate people at all. <laughs> but as you know, Paula, I mean, we're joking about you here, but you do know that there are tons of pretty slimy people that oh, want to yeah, no, talk I real estate. Do not like real estate oh. people. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I think you and I were going back about that one real estate person that afford anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that course she offers. Ugh, sketchy. I mean, it's what, like kidding on the square, right? Like yeah. I, it's, it's one of those, I'm embarrassed to say that I'm in that industry because real estate seminar has such a vomit connotation to it. Honestly, I think that the reason that I that I'm quote unquote, like successful as a real estate person, like in, in the public domain. It's because you don't lie. Because, yeah. It's like, it's not because I'm good. It's just because I <laughs> am not a scammer. And apparently that's like the minimum, you know, apparently that's the criteria everybody was looking for. Like you, you'll talk to me like we're at a bar. Great. That's exactly <laughs> what I want. You should put that as a testimonial on your course. <laughs> not a scammer. I'll talk to you like we're at a bar. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah, a quick, just a quick Google search. But this, this, we did a Google search on this person after we'd already interviewed them. And then we found out that on Glassdoor and on uh, other employment websites, his employees, hey, he'd, he'd taken advantage of his employees. Then we went to the Better Business Bureau and there were, there were three different lawsuits pending against him. There, yeah, we've, we learned a valuable lesson there. Number eight here, uh, Len, let's go to you on this one. Use the help you've already hired. Yeah, I think that's kind of self-explanatory, right? So if you're familiar with a, an expert or something that you already have and you're used to them, stick with them and, um, Go with what you know, as opposed to going with somebody completely new or something that you see off the web and you're taking that advice. It's always better to go with what you know. Yeah, this is the great referral thing, Paula. I mean, if you know somebody who's successful in a certain area, ask them who they worked with to help them get there. That's the best referral ever. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In this case, by the way, he's talking about we all pay taxes and it's the Federal Trade Commission as well. And they have all kinds of uh, published information to avoid ripoffs. And of course, we'll link to this piece in the show notes page. Number nine here, getting something for free. You might be the product, not the customer. I high five myself, Doc, on this one because every blogger out there to get you to sign up for their thingy, Madougal, 
they will offer some free dangly thing. Heck, we do it, right? We're like, hey, and while you're here getting your free thing, why don't you sign up for the stacker, stackybenjamins.com forward slash stacker, if you want to go there. (laughs) But doc, this free stuff. Yeah, information is valuable. So it's not free at all. You're trading your information for this thing and they will use your information and they will possibly profit from it. So just something to keep in mind. It's fine to go and get that free dangly thing from Stacking Benjamins. Just be aware that they now have your email and and may write you to tell you about something they're offering or some product they have. And that's totally fine as long as you go into it open eyed. Now, when they start asking you for your social security number and your credit card number, then you've got to really oh. be careful of what information you're giving them. <laughs> do we got to stop doing that? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, we don't that do might that. Be frowned upon. Yeah, yeah, we do. We do not do that. And I'll tell you, when I was a financial planner, I remember I told one client what their fee was, what I was going to charge them to do their financial plan. And they said, well, okay, we were comparing you with somebody else and this other financial advisor works for free. And I said, really? So you think there's somebody doing the same thing that I do and they're doing it for free? And I don't know why, but the people said, yeah, yeah. He just seems like a really nice guy. I'm like, well, and then I just kind of backed away from the table and I went, well, do you think I'm a nice guy? They said, well, yeah, but you, but you want to charge us money and this guy wants to do it for free. I'm like, so don't you think that this guy gets paid somehow? Like if it's free in their financial planner, aren't you a little suspicious? No, he was a really nice guy. He was a super (laughs) nice guy. Good luck with that. Not great. Number nine on this list is, or well, we're at number 10, aren't we? Which is, by the way, Paula, if it sounds too good to be true. It usually is. It's one of the few things (laughs) in life that is true is that this show is free. However, there will be some ads later in the show. And and you said it well, that the listening to ads is the cost of the show. It is the cost of the show. Yes. <laughs> and it is sad that sometimes all podcasters get pushback for the fact that we have ads and mm. you wonder, how are we supposed to do this? Just because we're nice people? Because we are nice people. Well, uh, the, you know, my response, like if I were to say, but I need to get paid, people could always push back. So my response is typically like, all right, how do you suggest that I pay all of the other people who work here? Yeah. Because if I am a nice person, then I want my employees to get a fair wage and my full-time employee, my one full-time employee to get full health insurance benefits because I'm a nice person and I want to do that. So if I'm not supposed to have ads, how do you suggest that I pay health benefits to my employees? Yeah. I didn't mean to turn that into a thing about ads, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heck yeah. I'm with you. Let's do our takeaways from this piece. Uh, Mr. Penzel, let's start with you. What's our big takeaway here? Well, there's lots of good takeaways here, but I, I'm just going to put an exclamation point on this last one here. So if it sounds too good to be true, we'll, we'll bring it back to Bernie Madoff, right? I mean, he was providing humongous returns to his clients. I mean, year after year after year, and I've very high double digits consistently, which seems to me, I mean, I mean, it, I guess it can happen, but it's it's almost too good to be true. So that should have raised some flags for a lot of people. Anyways, that's the uh, exclamation point I'm going to put on that last one. Paula? Ditto to what Len said. I like the way that Len circled back, brought that that full circle, gave some symmetry to the story. (laughs) Thank you, Paula. Paula doesn't have a takeaway. She says a critique (laughs) of Len's takeaway. (laughs) It's a testimonial. I especially... (laughs) Paula's giving you bonus points for the pirouette at the end. (laughs) 
It's like she's the East German judge at the Olympics. I don't know why we're calling Doc G the guest because he's here all the time, but you're the guest of honor, Doc G. So uh, you got the last word, man. I think you have to listen to your gut when something doesn't feel right and then use these tools to go and search to see if your gut is telling you the truth or not. Well, I'm super excited to introduce our next guest because at this point, normally in the show, if you're brand new here, we have what's called our Friday FinTech segment, where we're introducing you to a new company often and a new concept that you haven't heard of before. And you and I are learning about them together. I am so excited about all of the passionate people out there who are trying to make it easier for you to do the right things with your money. It's something I love and one of my favorite segments of the week. However, this week we are going to introduce you to a new concept, but I think it's a company you've heard of before, a little company called Vanguard. Yes, the same Vanguard that uh, you're probably thinking about right now. And they're unveiling a new platform called Vanguard Digital Advisor. What's it all about? Well, I'm very excited that we are going to get to talk to right now, you and I, Brian Kincannon from Vanguard. He's the head of Vanguard Digital Advisor. Let's find out about it together, shall we? Well, new research from Vanguard finds millennials are redefining retirement. And here with us today from Vanguard Digital Advisor, Brian Kincannon joins us. How are you, man? I am doing great. Thanks so much for, for having me on your show. I'd be lying, though, if I didn't say I was a little bit sleep deprived. We uh, <laughs> we welcomed a new one into the world last Friday. I heard that. You beat me to that. Congratulations, man. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. So it's it's number two at home, and we were also one of the many people who added a puppy into the mix here over <laughs> over the recent months. So <laughs> no. no no shortage of things to keep us busy here. Yeah, you really don't like sleeping, do you, Brian? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. There's, if there's one thing that gets me going, it's talking about financial services and financial advice. So happy to be here and, and get my energy going. Well, and I love talking about the, your study because of the fact that I love how people are always pushing the envelope on what retirement is and what it means. And your study on millennials, tell me what you guys found out about millennials kind of pushing the definition of retirement, Brian. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe just like as a bit of context here at Vanguard, I'm sure many of your listeners know this, we're in the, the business of helping people reach their financial goals. And doing that well requires us having a, a very deep understanding of where our clients are at, not just financially, but, but emotionally as well. And so we do our best to keep tabs on our clients' emotional states. And, and as you mentioned, uh, one of those most recent ways is through a survey that we published called Generational Views on Financial Advice, Investing, and Retirement. And what I think is really interesting about the study is that actually, if we zoom out for a second, I think it'd be helpful for our listeners if they first grounded themselves like in the emotional state of millennials pre-COVID. Right. A lot of times in the financial industry make comments along the lines that folks that have more money have more complex financial situations. And in a technical sense, that's true. There's perhaps more tools in the tax optimization toolkit that are applicable to clients with more money. But in a human sense, I think it's totally off base because money stress doesn't discriminate by age. And so when you talk to millennials, they rarely say like, oh, that money stuff. You know, I've, I've got it all. I've got it all figured out. <laughs> right, right. 
and instead, I think, you know, when you sit down and talk to them, they're from their point of view, they're staring down some of the biggest financial decisions they've ever made. Right. Going to graduate school, paying for a wedding, buying their first home, having kids, you know, figuring out if they can splurge on that nice vacation, or maybe they just saw that Tesla commercial and, and wonder if they can fit that in their budget. And then meanwhile, they're they're feeling a little bit guilty because maybe they haven't done a good a job as they wanted in building that rainy day fund, or maybe they're only paying the minimum amount of their credit cards or their student loan debt, and that's hanging over their shoulders, or people are telling them to save for retirement, and that's such an amorphous idea. And, you know, they're just working hard, hoping for a raise, hoping for a promotion, but not making enough money in their eyes. I remember those days. You've so many priorities and so many things people are telling you, and it's so difficult to decide what to focus on. Yeah. And and I think when people finally get that off, like their chest, they just like, they have to go, right. You you almost have to take a deep breath because that's a lot to take on. There's, there is a lot of choice. And so if money, you know, if life, right, weren't already scary enough, now you add a global pandemic to the mix. And so that kind of is, is maybe the lead into the survey. And so we started talking to investors, right. And just trying to get a feel of where you at now relative to where you may have been pre COVID. And I think there's a couple interesting insights from that study. One, and perhaps I'll start with the least surprising one. I would say investors are feeling less confident about their financial futures. Sure. Right. Womp womp. No surprise there. But, you know, 60% are reporting that COVID had a negative impact on their finances, and that's consistent across age groups. Similar percentage saying they're, they're paying closer attention now to their finances than they've ever been before. And when you probe and try to get an understanding of their emotional states, they're telling us that COVID's undermined their confidence, it's undermined their optimism, their motivation, and instead it's making them more cautious, fearful, and skeptical. And more than any other cohort, millennials are the ones most likely to use the word overwhelmed, right? Mm -hmm. So that little sigh of relief or that deep breath that we took earlier, that just got a little bit deeper post-COVID. But what I think is a little bit more interesting from the study, and maybe a little more surprising to some of your listeners, is that the impact that this is having on the actions of the investors and what it's causing them to do or perhaps not to do. And so what we also saw was that 75% of investors and 77% of millennials, they've actually canceled or postponed major financial purchases. So all those things I rattled off earlier, right? Graduate school, wedding, we're seeing 75% make a decision to alter a, a major life decision. The most common one is, is for go vacation, right? But things like buying a car, not buying a home, even for going, getting married or starting a family, all of them have been on the cutting block for a fair share of a fair share of our investors. Lastly, and maybe like the third point that I really want to lean in is like, and it's a silver lining for us, is that it's actually causing some investors to reconsider financial advice. Mm. And so what we're seeing is that 37% of our investors and actually nearly 50% of millennials are saying COVID has increased their interest in receiving professional financial advice. You know, in fact, it's about 80% of Gen Z and 75% of millennials are interested in receiving financial advice in the future. I guess so it, for, for all those, oh yeah, go ahead. You, well, I was just going to say, Brian, that if there's an upside to, to COVID, and I, I don't know how I put that sentence together because there really is no upside, <laughs> but I guess people paying more attention and realizing that having smart people or smart uh devices in their corner, things that can help them. I mean, if there is a silver lining, I would suppose that would be it when I look at your study. Yeah. And I'd say it was for those, you know, exact reasons that we just recently launched a new advice offering at Vanguard called Vanguard Digital Advisor. 
in a nutshell, I'd say that service is a digital investment and financial planning solution that helps investors achieve their goals. Can we talk about, let's dive into how that works because nothing I like better than some fintech stuff. And when a company (laughs) like Vanguard develops some cool fintech, I want to dive into it. So exactly how does it work? Is it an app on my phone? Is it, do I go to a website? What do I do, Brian? Yeah, absolutely. So Vanguard has been democratizing access to investments for the better part of five decades now. And I'd say over the last past decade or so, we've increasingly expanded our mission to democratize access to financial advice. And Digital Advisor is the latest way that we're doing that. So what is it? Digital Advisor is is your personal, non-judgmental financial wellness digital coach uh, who's going to be there by your side through all the twists and turns of your personal and professional life and whose purpose is to provide you a bit of peace of mind, a bit of confidence today while helping plan for the freedom, for the choice that you're craving for, for your tomorrow, right? So qualitatively, that's, that's how I would describe that. In practice, what does that mean? So digital advisor, it's a robo-advisor, which okay. I imagine uh, you know, you're familiar with and many of your listeners. Yep. And so that means that we'll craft and manage a diversified, personalized investment portfolio on your behalf. And that portfolio will be monitored daily. It'll be rebalanced automatically to keep your investments in line with your target mix of stocks and bonds. And for those of you that know Vanguard, you know that's our bread and butter, managing portfolios that, that seek to maximize after-tax risk-adjusted returns. You know, but in my opinion, that's not what necessarily makes Digital Advisor special. The robo-advisor industry, it's been around for about a decade or so, and, and automated portfolio management is increasingly table stakes at this point, I'd say. Yeah. Although there's there's still some room for differentiation there. But I like to say that digital advisor is is not your older sister's robo advisor. <laughs> and 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 so we'll be looking to push the boundaries of what a robo advisor can help our investors accomplish. I would say in addition to the the portfolio management aspects of the offer, we're leaning heavily into the goals-based planning and the behavioral coaching that is typically only been done well within the context of having a, a human financial advisor in the fold. And I think we would know with Vanguard, we have one of the most successful value adding financial advisor businesses out there. It's called Personal Advisor Services yeah. um, that went public back in May of 2015. And so the challenge that we put out there for our client experience and our product development teams was trying to channel all of that richness right, that comes from that dialogue between a financial advisor and a client and trying to fit that into a digital solution. Well, and, and, and that's, that's, of course, a, a tall order. Yeah, yeah, frankly, Brian, that's what my co-host OG and I always talk about is the problem with calling most of these services robo-advisor is there really is no advice. There's a lot of robo. There's not much advisor. That's right. And the fact of the matter is some people are always going to want that human touch, not a simulated human touch, but right, a real-life financial advisor they can speak with. And we have that service, right? That's that's the one that we started with, which is personal advisor services. But we do recognize there's an audience and the studies are telling us that, that view speaking with a human as a barrier. And they just want to be enabled and coached through a digital solution to help them get them on the path, to help them start their investor journey. And so that's what we're doing here with Digital Advisor. And I'd say we're not there yet. So we're still in pilot mode, Digital Advisor, but I'd say we're pretty darn excited about the trajectory of where we're headed here in the months to come. I'm looking as I go to the pilot page too, you've got uh, some new features that are going to be coming out shortly as well. 
Yeah. So through the digital advisor solution, we'll get to know you, your goals, your dreams, right? And we're essentially creating a living, breathing financial plan that's going to evolve with you. And so at the, the onset of the experience, we're focused on helping clients get a full picture of their finances. So across all their providers or banks, credit cards, asset managers, mortgage providers, what have you, you know, using a, a tool called data aggregation. And then with the pilot version in market now, we then help them establish their goals with a particular focus on retirement and debt pay down and emergency savings, as they're the areas that, you know, our target population millennials have been telling us are most top of mind for them. And then we put their money to work in a well-diversified tax-efficient portfolio of stocks and bonds. But, you know, some of the interesting features that we have here on the roadmap is something we call internally next dollar accumulation, for example. And so I referenced earlier, we're trying to recreate that conversation between advisors and clients. Yeah. And one that we see very frequently is just clients asking the question of like, where do I put my money? Yeah. Right. So we want to save for emergency savings. We might want to pay down debt, you know, or maybe should you invest the money? And even if you should invest, then it's like, wait, there's a 529, an HSA, a traditional Roth IRA, 401k, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of jargon that we right. have in our industry. Right. And, and so people just want to know, what should I do with the money? I, I did all this work to set up a budget and save something. Where should it go? So with next dollar accumulation, the idea there is just to be able to answer the question in a direct way for investors in a digital format and actually calculate what is the optimal decision for you to make at this time based on the goals that we've set out. And that might be paying down cash. It might be setting aside money for emergency savings. It might be getting your match in your 401k. We will calculate that and solve up the answer in a, in a very user-friendly manner. So we, we have that one coming out in the next few months. We're, we're super excited there. You know, I can give you another example. A lot of this inspiration comes from, as I mentioned, it's that advisor-client dialogue that happens and us just listening to thousands of phone calls from our personal advisor services business and then trying to replicate it. Another one, I know you're a financial advisor that, that clients often ask is, when can I retire? A lot of times, you know, the digital solutions out there, the robo-advisors, they just ask you to put in your retirement date and then they'll do some modeling. But so often it's like, that's what clients are coming to get advice for is like, when can I retire? I don't know. Here's what I'm doing. You tell me. And so we've created another product that we internally call Goal Solver. And what that's doing is essentially replicating that back and forth between an advisor where an advisor is running scenarios with different retirement ages and then telling a client how much they should be saving you know, if they plan to retire at different ages. What we're doing here, and we're using artificial intelligence and some, some machine learning tools is we solve the thousands of optimal paths that exist because there's truly no one right path. But then we... I think in our opinion, eloquently serve up a small subset of optimal paths for the client to choose from within their specified parameters that hopefully make this more digestible and approachable of making a, a big financial decision like when should they retire. That's really cool because that is the what do I do with the next dollar is so hard for people to I mean, such a difficult question. And like you said at the beginning of our discussion, Brian, like deciding what I do with that next dollar when I have so many conflicting Goals, by the way, is incredibly difficult. And by the way, I'm not a financial advisor. I play one on the radio, but I, but I am I, I am I am not. Between all the Stacking Benjamins episodes we do, I just like talking to people like you. But two last questions I have. Number one is, uh, what does the service cost? Yeah, so all in the service costs twenty basis points, so zero point two percent. And okay. I say all in because that fee includes the underlying expenses of the mutual funds and ETFs. Ah, gotcha. Um, yeah. so, so I imagine many investors, right, their their mutual funds or ETFs themselves may cost more than that 
0.2% number. So sure. it's certainly priced to be competitive in the industry here. And then number two, people want to find out more. Where do they go? A couple different things. For some people, they just prefer to go to Google. You can go to Google and type in Vanguard Digital Advisor. <laughs> it should pop right up. Right. Um, but if you're in carriage to go and type in the full URL, it's vanguard.com backslash digital advisor. Gotcha. And you know what, uh, everybody, I will link to it on our show notes page as well at stackingbenjamins.com. Brian Kikannon, thanks for hanging out with us. Congratulations on the new member of your family and good luck getting some sleep, my friend. <laughs> thanks so much. I appreciate it. Hey, trivia fans. I'm your pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And all that talk about fraud's pretty scary, am I right? On a completely unrelated topic. Get this. I know they mentioned this Madoff guy with all of the yada, 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 yada. I really wasn't listening. But now that I'm reading a little about him, I think this Madoff guy was really on to something. Maybe if we just tweak his approach a little bit, we could use his strategy down here to clean up. Maybe install some new carpeting, a couple of those soft cushion folding chairs. But before I share this hot, hot, once-in-a-lifetime idea, let's get you today's trivia. Today's question is, how much money in total did this Madoff guy steal from his clients? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can double your money. It's amazing that Doug sits right next to us and still manages to ignore all the show. But the cool thing is, is for those of you new to the show, we have a year-long competition going on between Paula Len and OG and Doc G. You are OG today. Ain't nothing but a G thing. It was right there. You had to do it. You had to. Uh, And the score right now, this is exciting. The score is... Paula has 14, OG has 15, and Len has 15. So it is tight with only a couple weeks to go. So that means, Mr. Penzo, you get to kick things off, my friend. How much money did Bernie Madoff steal? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it was a lot of people. I know that. You know, I, I actually thought I heard everybody got made whole or just recently, like a year ago, too. I think I, I, I assume everybody I think everybody got made whole or close to it. I don't you know what, Joe? I don't know. I'm just going to take a freaking stab. I'm going to say. It's got to be a huge number, it's probably a ridiculously huge number. I'm going to say one hundred and eleven billion dollars, hundred and eleven billion dollars, Doc. I think that's a little too high. <laughs> I'm going to say 500 million. 500. Boy, Paula, you've got these serious goalposts here. <laughs> wow. You got a lot of room in the middle there. I mean, a- I'm not saying it's in the middle, but there's a lot of room in the middle. Phew. Okay. So the anchors are 500 million on one side and 111 billion on the other side. So basically, I just need to figure out which one of those two numbers it would round to be closer to and then go one dollar on either side of it, in which case. Yeah, I mean, you're assuming the middle there, I think, but it could be higher than the 111 billion (laughs) or could be lower, could be lower than the 500 million. He maybe only stole four bucks. 
I'm going to make the assumption that the amount is somewhere in the middle. What was and Doc, I'm, what was Doc? What was Doc's pick? Five hundred million dollars. Five hundred million. So a half a billion. Yeah. Wow, that's a huge. That's a huge. Yeah, huge, huge gap. I so I'm going to go with five hundred million and one dollar. Five hundred million and one. Meaning you think it's closer to the halfway point. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think I certainly think the number is in the billions, but I think it's uh, I certainly don't think it's triple digit billions. I don't think it's in the hundreds of billions. Well, we're going to find out here in a second, Paula, but you know how we pay for the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, here you go, Joe. Do you want to check this time or do you want uh, cash? <laughs> Everybody pay up. Hey, stackers, do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. I bet it can be hard work, but you know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or your renter's insurance along with your auto policy, and that's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. So go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. And if you're somebody that diligently pays off your credit cards every month, you want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. How amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places Discover's accepted 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report. Limitations apply. Len, you kicked it off with $111 billion based on what Doc and Paula said. They think you might be a little on the high side. Yeah, I probably am. Doc, <laughs> uh, $500 million. Well, Paula thinks you're $1 too high or too low. <laughs> it's an audio podcast. You could, you could at least go, wow, neat, Joe. <laughs> wow, neat, Joe. That's fantastic. <laughs> And Paula, so, and by the way, for new people on the show, I don't know if you guys saw that we had somebody recently talk about the show and about being new to the show and heard the reference Chelsea Brennan on this show, but they heard <laughs> Chelsea Brennan on an episode of another show. I think it was Bigger Pockets Money. And all of a sudden they realized that Chelsea Brennan was a real person and totally got the joke after so much time. But, uh, but Paula totally Chelsea Brennan doc, which means, because we should explain this from time to time, she went $1 over, even though Paula doesn't believe it really is $1 over. Exactly. Exactly. I made a choice that was strategic rather than an accurate reflection of the estimate that I believe it to be. So uh, what's the halfway point between the, between these two numbers? Uh, so, okay. So added together, it would be 111.5 divided by two. So that's 112 divided by two. Well, minus, with, m- minus half a billion. So yeah, like you're going to be 50, 55 billion. Yeah, it's going to be change. 55.5 billion. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you've got the reins, Doug. What's our answer? Hey, stackers, looking to grow your money F-A-S-T fast? You've come to the right place because I'm your get-rich-quick pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. So how's this strategy? All you got to do is give me your money. That's it. Oh, you want more details? Okay, then you recruit three friends to give 
me some of their money too. Here's the great part. I'll use your friend's money to guarantee you a 25% rate of return and then get money from all of their friends and give them 25%. Take that stock market. Pretty soon we're all rich. It's simple. Well, it, all of us except the sucker who decides not to recruit three friends. That guy's hosed. I'm telling you, if they don't take this seriously, how much do they value making money? This is seriously the best idea I've ever had. I know I've said my burger idea was better, that one with the neighborhood car wash, but this one is way, way, way better. See, it's better because the whole thing is like a giant pyramid. And if we put ourselves on the top, then we're going to be rolling in dough while the suckers at the bottom do all the work. Before I start working on Joe's mom to market my fun, let's get back to today's trivia. The question was, how much did Bernie Madoff steal from his clients? This Bernie dude was sentenced to a record 150 years in prison because he stole a whopping $65 billion. That's a lot of money. Lucky for us, we're not stealing anybody's money. We're just going to crank up the return engine. It's going to be raining money in here, yo. See ya. Sixty-five yes. billion is a lot of money. Whew. Wow, Mister Penzo takes the day. Yeah, I'll take. Are you sure it wasn't five hundred million? <laughs> you know the irony is, if I had not Chelsea Brennan, Doc G, and if I had just guessed somewhere in the middle, I would have been the closest number. You would have gotten it, right? Would've, the would've irony is, by trying to be strategic, I outplayed myself. Well, that 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 you know, you you had a. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you kind of, you kind of, uh, yeah. Oh, whatever. She's getting too clever, Len. She's too clever for her own know. good. Yeah. Well, that's all right. Uh, chalk another one up for me. So Len takes Some the day. Theory around the <laughs> if, the, if the range is too I wide, I will continue setting the goalposts for you guys. <laughs> yes. That's where the texting back and forth between him and Doc G. <laughs> Really worked out. Len's like, Doc, you're not in this game every week. Do you care? (laughs) You know, as long as I can screw OG off, as long as I can help him lose, we're good. There it is right there. (laughs) Doc's like, well, at least it's $4. I'm going to go with $4. (laughs) Hey, uh, before Mr. Penzo gloats too much, let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to us courtesy of magnifymoney.com. You know what happens, Doc, when you head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney? No, Joe, what happened? How many damn times have you been on this show? You should know by now. You're going to find that those financial products you use every day at your brick-and-mortar bank, nowhere near the best in class. Over 92% of all the products available online ranked at Magnify Money. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money for more. Whether it's checking accounts, savings accounts, debt consolidation loans, all at and more. Magnify Money. Today, we're going to help Catherine magnify her money. Say hi, Catherine. Hey, Joe and OG. My name is Catherine. I'm 26 years old in Birmingham, Alabama, and my question is fundamentally about how I should think about the timing for a large charitable donation. I have a long question, so I'm cutting to the chase to say that I have a solid financial base and about 50K in the stock market, about half and half between retirement and a regular brokerage account. It's my life goal to endow a scholarship at my favorite 501c3 organization, which will cost $25,000. I'm wondering how you would suggest I think about when to make this contribution. It's already in my will in case something happens 
to me before I get the chance, but assuming I live for a very long time, I'm not sure how I should be thinking about it. The desire to do it comes from a philanthropic place, but I want the timing and actual donation to come from a sound logical place. I have the money in the brokerage account right now to make the donation, but it's all of my brokerage money and about half of my total invested assets. Due to my age, I know that any money I donate now will ultimately double something like eight times. So I'm hesitant to donate it at any point in the next 10 years, maybe even longer, just due to what it will ultimately cost me, and because I don't know what the future will hold for me. I don't currently have a partner or any children, and I know that if that changes in the future, I'm likely to save a smaller percentage of my income, and I would likely be thankful for this extra cushion. I've considered using metrics like I'll make the donation when my stock portfolio rises 25k in a year, or I'll make the donation when I have 250k invested, so it's 10% of my portfolio, my own mini correction. I would just really appreciate your general thoughts on this. Thanks. Thanks for that question, Catherine. And I love the fact that Catherine is thinking about her community and the people around her and asking, what's the best way to support my community? I think especially, well, don't get me wrong, every day is a great day to think about that. But this time of year of uh, when everybody's thinking about giving, giving to your community, just fantastic. Initially, I thought this was a really technical question. It might be a little technical. I've got some technical thoughts, but I also think this is a great time for us to ask a lot of people, just generally, what do you think about this? So Doc, you're the guest. Uh, kick us off, man. What do you think about the question and, and about um, her options? So I think it's a great question. And as you said, it's wonderful that she's thinking about how can I help my community? How can I do something good with my money? I have two what I would call off-the-cuff thoughts. And the reason why is I actually had a guest on the Earn and Invest podcast, and we spent a whole hour talking about endowed scholarships and funding them. One is the timing can sometimes depend on who you work for and on the scholarship. So my guest actually convinced his business, because it was a big business, to match his donation. And then he donated to a university, which then matched that donation. So yeah. he started with something like $6,000. His company matched it up to 12. And then the university matched the 12 and it became $24,000 from his automatic $6,000. And then he went a step further and donated stock with capital gains on it already. So he donated stock with capital gains so he didn't have to pay taxes on that. So he really did this in a financially sound way. So one thing about the timing is, are there benefits from either your workplace or from the company itself that you want to donate to? Yeah, the charitable. One time better than the other. That's one thought. Obviously, we could go into really depth about her financial situation and what her needs are currently. But another thing to think about, especially if it's a 501c3, is I bet you could probably open a donor advised fund and then slowly put little bits away. And those little bits can grow with the market over time too, so that you can get to that $25,000 in tax protected growth and then eventually donate it over. And I think that's a really elegant way to handle this because then she can probably start with much smaller amounts. So she's not killing the power of her own compounding of her investments, which she wants to grow for her own wealth. But by putting little bits away on a regular basis, that money can grow with the market tax-free and she'll probably get to the 25,000 faster. Paula, talk about donor advice fund because you're aggressively nodding your head. Yeah. Yeah. So Doc had his plug for the Earn and Invest podcast. So I've got to do my little plug for <laughs> on the Afford Anything podcast. We did a very, very in-depth episode a few months ago about donor advised funds. It was uh, in one of our PSA Thursday episodes. 
What's brilliant about a donor advised fund and the reason that I thought of it immediately when I heard her question is she mentioned that she does not want to lose out on compounding growth that could happen with that money. Now, the beauty of contributions to a donor advised fund is that once that money is in there, that money can be invested and therefore can continue to grow. So if she opens a donor advised fund, invests the money inside of that fund, she doesn't necessarily have to then deploy that money, you know, send that money to the institution that she wants to donate it to. She can continue to grow that money. And so that that bucket of money can continue to enjoy its compounding growth until it reaches an amount or a time in which she says, cool, it's compounded enough, it's doubled enough, and now I'm ready to give it to the institution. So that's one thing. I kind of want to make two comments to add on to what Doc was saying about a donor advised fund. Now, the great thing about it is that it is very tax efficient in that she could donate the investments that are already in a taxable brokerage account and not have to pay taxes on any of the capital gains. So it's a very tax efficient way to make that donation. The other aspect of it, though, because Doc, you were mentioning the strategy of donating a little bit at a time over a long period of time, an alternate strategy to making donations into a donor advised fund is to concentrate several years worth of contributions into one year so that that way, if there's a particular year when you think you're going to get a high tax bill, if there's a year where you get a bonus or a commission or something like that, you can concentrate several years. Let's say, let's say hypothetically you want to donate $5,000 a year. That's what's in your budget. You can donate $20,000 and kind of front load the next four years worth of contributions and take a maximum tax deduction in your high income year. Yes, yeah, fantastic. We also, by the way, I guess we all did podcast on this. I'm going to link to all three of ours. We had Chris uh, Putnam Walker Leon, who works with a lot of uh, different um, 501c3s and teaches people how to donate on an episode we called How to Donate Better No Matter How Much Money. Let's link to all of them. More is better. And with only, this is not something you're going to understand in an hour. If we put those three episodes together, Catherine, I think you got more. And We've got Mr. Penzo's take as well. Anything to add there, Len? No, those were great. The only thing I would say is maybe sometimes, again, you're overthinking this thing. I mean, what's the hurry? You know, you're 26 years old, Catherine, and you got a long life ahead of you. And there's nothing wrong if you're willing to wait. Wait 30 years. Wait 40 years. You you know, you don't know what's going to happen down the road. The only other thing I can say is, Instead of looking just at the numbers of what percentage of, you know, your entire portfolio you want to, you know, what's going to trigger this, when you feel comfortable, when you feel like you're financially secure for letting go of that money, maybe that's the time to do it. But, uh, you know, just take your time and let life play out and that's it. You stole my thunder, Len, because the thing that really worries me is that she would give this money away and doesn't have enough for her own financial security. And even though I love the mission... And I think that that's the prime goal is to do that as soon as possible. Um, if she takes a large chunk of money and donates it, and then something comes along to your point line, because things change in life. And now she's locked into this beautiful thing, but now she's starting over for her own stuff. I think that could be a real struggle. Yeah. Like I said, when you're young, I, it's weird. It's like you're thinking more in the here and now, and you just got to, 
it's hard to do when you're younger is look at the big picture. I mean, you've got a lot of life ahead of you and a lot of things that can happen. And it's just just relax and kick back. And you'll know when you're ready, when you feel that you're financially secure, the decision will become much easier, I think. You sound like dad giving that advice. Well, I, I, you know what? Doesn't I'm he sound old. like dad? Getting- <laughs> he does sound like dad. Like he's figuratively putting his arm around all of us going, kids, let me tell you a story. But you know what? I think there's a halfway here, Len, which this is actually one of the few areas where a permanent life insurance policy could be a middle ground. Like if she really wants to make this pledge, so let's say it's 25,000 bucks. If she's got $50,000 to her name, I'm not going to say to take $25,000 today and make that gift. However, if she's committed to this and she really, really wants to give money to this organization, she wants it to happen now, buy a permanent life insurance policy, put it in the name of that organization that they're the beneficiary that gets the money puts cash into it. And if she dies over the short run, they will get the money when she passes away. But if she gets to the point later on in life that she has enough money, yay, she didn't die. That's great. And sure, she wasted some money on life insurance. She can cancel the policy and take the cash, or she can just continue to have that donation to them on top of what she was going to do before. So they'll get money from her portfolio after she's financially secure and she'll get, they'll get the money. And by the way, this is the reason why you have to do a permanent life insurance. If it's term life insurance, that'll go, that becomes prohibitively expensive when you get to 65. It's like the time you're going to probably die, it gets prohibitively expensive to do that gift. And by the way, if she wants um, the organization to know she gave the gift, she can tell them right then that she's doing that. And I've seen people do that before. A lot of the time when these huge gifts go out to universities or whatever it is, this is the mechanism they use to make those big gifts is a permanent life insurance policy. So we talked about scams today and about how people think permanent life insurance is a scam. Sometimes, yes, but I think this might be a way where she can feel good about putting some money aside for that and uh, not have to give up that money that she's got in her bank account. So, but I love the donor advice fund guys love, absolutely love that idea as well. Thanks for your question, Catherine. If you've got a question for us, bring it uh, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. If you'd like to uh, send us a message and, uh, or you can write us, just write me Joe at stackingbenjamins.com or on the website, we have a uh, contact form. You can ask us a question that way too. But if you're brave like Catherine was, you're going to get the Stacking Benjamins greatest money show on earth circus t-shirt, which is one of my favorites. Len's wearing the aviator shirt today. I'm wearing the monopoly shirt today. I love it. Uh, Doc and Paula losers wearing other stuff, but whatever. (laughs) It's fine. It's okay. I won't be offended, but you know what? Because of the fact that he wore his stacky Benjamin's gear. Len, let's start with you, man. What's happening at lenpenzo.com? Uh, at lenpenzo.com, I've got an article that uh, goes over 10 red flags that may signal you are uh, in some real financial trouble, but may not know it. It turns out the prince isn't real? No, the prince, <laughs> yes, that's right. That, that's a real big one. Yes, that's a big one. Paula, how about at Afford Anything? On the Afford Anything podcast, we have this wacky dude named Joe Saul Seahide. Shut the front door. It's true. Uh, so he joins us on the uh, show to answer questions that come from the community. But if you want to hear something even better, but wait. we also have an- <laughs> You actually have a real guest? <laughs> we have two. Seth Godin, the marketing oh, genius. Oh, wow. And Josh Kaufman from the Personal MBA. 
Uh, not, not together on the same episode. Those are two separate episodes. That would be so, cool. Having them both on the same episode though. It would be. Yeah, exactly. The guy from alt MBA and the guy from personal MBA. Yeah. We should, then we should invite the hosts of tropical MBA. Yes. Um, and then somebody from the MBA. Uh, oh, that's the NBA, not MB. Yeah. Yeah. L-M-N-O-P. All right. We'll link, by the way, to the amazing Afford Anything podcast and lempenzo.com on our show notes. And Doc, thanks. Ho, ho, ho. What? The amazing Afford Anything podcast and limpenzo.com. <laughs> and you wore the swag and I just did that to you without even thinking about that. The incredible, very sexy limpenzo.com. Ah, that's more like it. How about that? Doc, thanks for hanging out with us again, my friend. It is great to be here on Earn and Invest. We have Rewind Week this week, and we cap off Monday with an episode about the importance of learning how to be a virtual speaker, how to present yourself virtually, especially in this world of COVID and shelter in place and pandemic. Hopefully we're on our way past this, but the world has changed. And nowadays you need to know how to put yourself in front of a Zoom camera and affect the world. Isn't it funny how we all need some, we all need some PR tips now. Like everybody needs some putting your best foot forward. Yeah. I think we needed that in person anyway, but now we have to figure out virtually also. (laughs) Absolutely. Len, Len's on mute. Well, you probably don't want to hear what I said anyway. (laughs) No. I made a comment about Jeffrey Tubin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He, it, he presented a little too much of himself. Maybe. That'll be going on the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Very authentic. If you know what I mean. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, all right. Joe, Joe, you've got this gather pillow behind you, like that throw pillow that says gather in cursive font. Yes. And I keep looking at it thinking, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> don't gather. Well, I'm sitting in front of the pillow that says don't. Ah, got it. <laughs> yes. You're just getting half of it. And on that fantastic dad joke, finish. Doug, you've got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our roundtable. You always need to be on the lookout to not get scammed. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. I've heard that somewhere before. Also remember, testimonials, they might not be the proof you think they are. Trust me. Second, take a lesson from Brian Concanon. Get a financial plan. Whether it's help digitally or from a human, start taking steps towards a brighter future today. But the big takeaway, Joe's mom told me my idea of a fund that's built like a pyramid with us on top. Well, she said there's good news and bad news. Good news is it's got a name. Yeah, they call it a pyramid scheme. I'm not really sure I like the word scheme and my pyramid word together. But that's not the only bad news. She said it's also apparently illegal. And I should probably go stop Todd down at the Sizzler before uh, he heads to the bank to get his cash to give me. Huh. Well, I got to run so I don't end up in an orange jumpsuit. I don't look good in orange. Special thanks to Doc G for joining us on the roundtable again. You can find Doc G's podcast, Earn and Invest, wherever you listen to finer podcasts. Also, special thanks to Brian Concanon from Vanguard Digital Advisor for joining us. Either find it at the App Store or at Vanguard.com. You sure that's how you pronounce that? 
Pretty sure it's Vingari. Paula Pant appears courtesy of AffordAnything.com and the Afford Anything podcast. Len Penzo appears courtesy of LenPenzo.com and TheAngelOfDarkness.com. This show is created by Joe Saul Seahigh, produced by Karen Rapine, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just jumped the shark. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Of course, we will have links to Doc G's podcast and Vanguard. I know I said this earlier, but I got to say, that name just might catch on. Uh, Those links will be on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. You know, so Joe, I saw a cake that reminded me of you today. Of course. You can't walk death through the bakery aisle and not think Joe's all see high. <laughs> I mean, it reminded me of more than just your uh, breakfast habits. <laughs> nice. And it was a cake with $100 bills. Like the cake decorating was the image of just stacks and stacks of Benjamins. Awesome. Yeah. And so did you buy us one? Well, I actually thought about it, but I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get this to Texarkana. Did you take a picture of it? Uh, there is a picture of it. There is a picture there, of it. There is a picture of it. It's so she's like, I didn't take it. It might be stock Kroger photography <laughs> that I'll have to look up later online. Len, has anybody ever told you that you remind them of cake? Uh, no, no, I don't even know how to come back to that, Joe. No. That's, that's the way Paula hands out compliments. You know what? You remind me of cake. <laughs> <laughs> We say, Doc G, you remind me of some um, apricots that were going bad in my refrigerator. <laughs> you had me until the going bad. I was going to say sweet, you know, juicy, whatever you want to say. But then you had to add in the going bad. and you I, lost. I think by going bad, he means fermented, which means drunk. Yes. <laughs> There's a, a hint of alcohol, yes. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be 
a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.